So, uh, the lectionary for today has one of the passages is from Acts chapter 9. And so when I got to Acts chapter 9, I decided that I enjoyed, I was going to be, I wasn't going to teach what the teaching was, that I thought I would just teach about Paul because I really liked reading about Paul yesterday. So if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 9, I'm going to do the first 30 verses of that in New American Standard. So I'm talking to Jamie when, I, when you see me turn to the sides because Jamie's sitting over there and she keeps up with this stuff. Jamie, did you know this is the fourth Sunday of Easter? Yeah. It's been three Sundays since Easter, right? So that's 21 days. So on May the 11th, Wednesday, we will be halfway to Ascension Sunday, which is Pentecost. Other name for Pentecost, Ascension Sunday. Uh, What else do I know that you're so excited to hear about? Um, so we're almost at the halfway point of the 40 days of Jesus appearing to people every so often during those first 40 days. And uh, Pentecost will be Thursday, May 26th. And I'm just telling you that because I wrote down the side I wasn't going to waste all that stuff. And if you're just need small chat and you're talking you're sitting next to somebody and they're not talking you go hey did you know the book of common prayer was first made in 1549 don't you see that lively did, did you just see how you can just use that as a jump off point to get all kind of conversations going maybe okay so i think i'll pray again how about that Lord, I know Mother's Day is a happy day for a lot of people, and it's a a day of remembrance for others, and it's been long enough that they have a warm feeling about their mothers that are with you. But others, it's been very recent. And even if it's been five years, it may feel very recent. We ask you to be comforting to them. Would you speak to us from your scripture today? Would you speak just being yourself on an entirely different area because you're you're here with us. We're gathered in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So chapter 9 begins with talking about Saul, who's going to become Paul. And it says, Now Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, Extra-biblical sources say that they, they believe that 
um, Paul was possibly one of the Sanhedrin, the ruling 70 in Israel. Um, he may have been. He, he was, you know, studied in one of the famous rabbis, um, as we find in other places in Scripture. And he has really got it in for these Christians. So he's going to different synagogues, you know, like little Jewish churches in Damascus. So he's asked for these letters in verse 2 to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found any belonging to the way, the, the name that had stuck with the Christians, both, both men and women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You know, Luke is carrying on the, like Luke is like part two, the book of Acts going through the history of things. Verse 3, And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. He's almost there, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I wonder, is he laying on his back? Is he laying on his face? But we know he's on the ground. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he couldn't see anything. He could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. But there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. There was a disciple. When I got to this point, it lit up. There was a disciple. 42 years ago this evening, Mother's Day 1980, Lonnie Frisbee had been invited by John Wimber to the vineyard. It was a meeting in Yorba Linda Canyon High School in the gymnasium. And if you've ever heard Lonnie give his testimony of that night. It is funny. Uh, it is insightful. You know, he was a hippie, a real 60s hippie kind of guy, and he wanted to know God. He went out into a canyon and started yelling for God to come, and he was in the canyon doing this and doing this, and God showed up. And Lonnie came back a changed person, and because he didn't really have a teacher... Just he and the Bible, he started reading the Bible. And he noticed in the Bible that, well, they used oil a lot. So he got him a flask, I mean like a, a horn, like tie, and put oil in it, olive oil, and put that around him. Probably had him a poncho. And he would go over and anoint people. He would pull the top off and pour it over their head until it kind of dripped to the floor. Now, he didn't do this on Mother's Day at, at Anaheim, but he started become, at uh, Belinda then. It would, they'd move down the road to Anaheim. And uh, 
I was asking people to tell me all about it because I wasn't there, but I had the audio version of what was going on. Lonnie tells his testimony, if you hear it, and then he, he gets to the end of it and he says, so God's been upset with us, but he's, he's, he's getting over it. So he wants to anoint people with the Holy Spirit. He wants some Holy Spirit to come on people. So um, with your permission, I'd like everybody over 25 to stand up on this side of the room. Now, they're in a gymnasium kind of area that and has bleachers, and so they got up, and everybody under 25 went over on one side. Well, there's a lot of them. And everybody over 25, will you come stand on this side of the room? And so you can hear them when you go on that side of the room. So will you guys and gals, I guess, I, don't know what, I can't remember the actually phrasing, he says, will you extend your arms and bless those under 25? And so they do, and as they do this, Lonnie from the little stage there area, um, or maybe they were staying on the floor, I don't know where he was, because John was playing his keyboard and Carl Tuttle was playing guitar. And, and you, you hear Lonnie start by saying, uh, yeah, young lady, you in the red down there, receive the Holy Spirit. And then you hear the sound of like a basketball, except it was her head, bouncing on the floor for a moment. And then he's called out another one or two. And then he goes, and you can hear him as they cut it off, of him off in the distance going, receive the Spirit, receive, you re- look at me, receive the Spirit. And they cut it off. So when I met um, John Wimber's wife, Carol, her, I met, uh, had supper with her sister, Penny Fulton, and, and Bob Fulton. I said, okay, so when, when the tape cuts off, what happened? And they said, oh, well, it's total bedlam. Uh, piles of bodies all around the room. And this one young man is standing near the front where the microphone had been on a stand. Lonnie's left it on a stand. This young man, the spirit comes on him. He starts speaking like machine gun in tongues. He goes down, wrapped up in the microphone cable. And all you can hear is his voice and tongues for the next hour because we, we can't get to him. There's just too many people, young people, everywhere, and Lonnie is just wandering all over the room. And that's how the evening ended. And then if you go on and heard more of the history, that summer, these young people became fanatics for Jesus, and I think 1,500 people became Christians that summer. Well, 500 of them followed them home back to the vineyard meeting in the gymnasium. And uh, other stories of Lonnie, if you know people that's traveled with him, like to South Africa, uh, one person was telling me, there, there was a guy, Roger Sachs. Roger Sachs, knew Lonnie, and he lived here in Gadsden for a few years, and I, I knew who he was, I'd met him a couple of times, but I didn't know how close he was. He was very close with Lonnie. He's written three books on him. There's a three volume, now there are three volumes on Lonnie's life. And uh, I knew from different little stories of people, they were talking about going to a church where a Wimber had taken a team to South Africa and, and Lonnie had gone there. And Lonnie had had a sports coat with him, and he decided he would walk down the aisle and take the sports coat off. It's kind of warm. And he started swinging it over his head. And as he swung it over his head, he would kind of tap people. 
And as he tapped people, they went down with the Spirit, and there was, so there was a trail through this church. You could tell exactly where Lonnie had walked with his coat because there was a trail of bodies through there. And then I, I talked to a, uh, Blaine Cook one time, and Blaine, uh, had first time I met him was the first night I met John Wimber, and Blaine was with him. And Blaine said that uh, they had some offices uh, for the church, and this this uh, Lonnie was had come to visit for some reason. He didn't regularly go to the vineyard. He just was in and out all over the place and going places. And he came in, and a lady had uh, had uh, was there. I guess she knew he was going to be there. Maybe they were going to have a little time of prayer or something. And she had really bad emphysema and couldn't breathe very well and, and had trouble talking like I, I would like I would like I would like Mr. Frisbee to pray for me and she was walking behind him in the hall and Blaine was a little bit further back and Lonnie was moving forward and Lonnie turned around and took his fist and hit her not real hard but hit her in the middle of the chest with his fist and she fell backwards, and Blaine said, oh, God, we're going to be sued. We're so going to be sued. She got up healed. <laughs> now, the reason I'm telling you all that, and, yeah, I know it was 42 years ago tonight, this stuff like that, but all it takes is one disciple, could be you or me, and we're being obedient. Just one person being obedient, doing their part that they were supposed to do. Mr. Putin is not safe from the God of the universe if God wants to show up before their day tomorrow in Russia to honor the ending of World War II and their part to play. He's not any different than Saul. They're both murderous people. They're both full of hate. But if God wanted to show up and say, tag, you're going to work for me, it'll be, the news will change. So that's okay with us, Lord, if you want to do that. There's a lot of people in the world that needs to change that they deserve God's justice and whatever goes with that. But God's merciful, and then God's got a plan, and God is on the, Father is on the throne, and Jesus is there with him. So, so there's a disciple, someone that's following God at Damascus named Ananias, verse 10, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. That's your first big problem is when you go, yes, <laughs> that's all it takes. That's all it takes. Not much. If you're Moses, all it takes is going, wow, there's a bush on fire and it's not burned up. I think I'll turn aside here and see what that is. That's all it took. Just turning toward the bush. And the bush starts talking. Of course, it's God. 
you're on holy ground. Take your sandals off. I have heard my people. Their cries come to me, and I'm sending you another disciple in that time period. Those that follow the real God. He says in verse 10, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, Ananias, being the good Christian, goes, yes, sir, I'm, I'm going to go do it, just, just like you said. But he acts like you and me, verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much harm he did to your to your saints or your holy ones at Jerusalem. And here he has authority and, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those who call on your name. That's his <laughs> you know, he's basically saying, I don't want to go down there. He just you know he didn't say it outright like that. Verse 15, but but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel or instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This is the reason, Ananias, I want you to go. He didn't have to tell him that. But he he gave him a bunch of it right there. Verse 17, so Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Now, Christians call each other that because they're family, like brother and sister. So Ananias already has put two and two together here. And that Saul the persecutor has had an experience with Jesus like the one he's just had in this vision talking to Jesus. And so he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know three things from this. We can say that he's saved. He, he's now he's met Jesus during these somewhere from talking to the light and being three days without, without eating or drinking. He's, he's in a contemplative place. He's become a, a believer, a disciple himself. And now Ananias is, uh, now there's this, Um, the blindness is going to go away and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So now he's going to be filled with the Spirit like they were earlier on Pentecost. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. 
and he took food and was strengthened. He's walking in the ways of this identifying. Just like those identifying at the Jordan with John the Baptist, you know, what must we do? You know, repent, be baptized. Same thing the morning of Pentecost to the 3,000, repent, be baptized. They are, there's that identifying with it, just like Jesus had done when he had gone down to John the Baptist and got baptized. And John had complained, saying, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, nope, this is the way it's supposed to be. I want you to, I want you to do this. Verse, rest of verse 19. And now for seven, several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. Now, probably the guys in the synagogues had heard that Saul's coming. Oh, great. We're going to finally get someone to get rid of these followers of this Jesus in the way. And now when he shows up, (laughs) he's of the way. He's proclaiming the one that he had been persecuting the followers of. And he's saying he's son of God. Verse 21, and all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who were called on this name and who has come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? But Saul kept increasing in strength. I would say strength and wisdom and anointing and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. They're being, in their mind, well, what do you do? You get rid of people. You don't have, you attack them, whatever. Verse 24, and their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples... Paul has become so effective that he's got people working with him now, following the way he, the things that he's saying. And I imagine that his disciples, you could read into that, that these are people that when he preached to other Jews that Jesus is the Son of God, that they went, I believe it, they got baptized in Jesus' name. They started learning about Jesus from Saul, and he's, you know, he knows the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures before the New Testament. He, he's had this encounter with him, and he knows these scriptures, and he starts seeing all this about the Messiah, coming Messiah and all the prophetic words that are given by the prophets and putting all this together and just can't imagine how his teaching would if we were Jewish, how this would be so profound of hearing him um, teach because he'll be very effective. He's going to write a bunch of the New Testament in different cities. 
So his disciples, in verse 25, they take him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, Barnabas, Barnabas's name means one of the prophets, or literally it means a representative. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles. He believed him. He was just, Barnabas is just pretty good. You know, later when they need Saul, who's now called Paul, they say, we, we need him. Barnabas goes and finds him and says, hey, come, come with us to, is it Antioch where they went? They needed, so much was going on, they wanted him to come. So Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And when he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing, arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, the ones that have a Greek background. But they were attempting to put him to death. He's already got another group of people in another town upset with him. I'm sure word has spread from the other Jews in Damascus back to Jerusalem about that Saul is now working for the other side. But when the, when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Now, Tarsus is his hometown. And then the next verse says, sort of like, uh, and the church throughout Judea and, and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. <laughs> Saul's gone, <laughs> home, and the numbers, things kind of quieted down a little bit. The vineyard never was the same after Lonnie came on Mother's Day 42 years ago. Never the same. Life went on. It went into the evening. Wimber went home he had a bunch of his theological books in his garage. He started looking for Come Holy Spirit, bam. You know, he wanted to know about all this. And remember, he's, he's been raised as a, a, become a Christian in the Quaker movement. And then this ch church is started, and, and John is uh, a church growth specialist. And it started up in the living room of Rick Wickwire, I believe. And Carl Tuttle is bringing his guitar, and it's starting to grow, and people at the house, you know, California is pretty nice weather most of the time. They've opened all the windows. The house is completely full. There are people coming every Sunday night, standing outside, worshiping in the yard, worshiping in the house. You know, they then they go and start renting Canyon High School's gymnasium, and kind of it's a lunchatorium thing, you know, place, and I think. And uh, they've been meeting there. He and uh, John's been leading uh, with his keyboards, starting to write some songs. Carl is starting to write some songs. Carl is playing his guitar. The vineyard is growing. And uh, Lonnie, because Lonnie would come and visit, uh, he would say, 
John, I wish you'd pray about me speaking sometime. And John would kind of put him off and put him off. And then one day John felt like the Lord says, no, you should let him come. So he says, okay, you can come. How about Mother's Day evening, which was 1980? So the church, I don't remember how many that they had at that time, but it made a profound change. And uh, so he's studying on this. Undoubtedly, when you go back, I'd have to look up some of this, but undoubtedly they had not had the Holy Spirit come in power yet at the, at the vineyard because um, John talks about going in his garage and looking through books. Now, meanwhile, in Denver, a friend, a pastor that has started a church Tom Stop. If you've heard of Tom Stop, you can go to Time Magazine in about 1970. Uh, the hippies, you know, there was this outbreak of hippies on the West Coast who, uh, who became Christians, and they started getting baptized out in the ocean. And we have the Jesus movement starting. It makes Time Magazine showing stuff. Well, the person who was the evangelist from the Calvary Chapel... Uh, Calvary Chapel there, Chuck Smith was the pastor, and the hippies started coming in, and they liked to wear uh, chains and stuff on their jeans, and they liked to put extra little, not that I know about this, but I do know because I had it too, but I only ever met but two hippies, and they were traveling through Gaza, and I gave them a a ride, but I had these little... uh, brads and stuff you could put on your jeans and we were doing that in 69 and around this time and so when um when the hippies started becoming christian um their cute little church with all their wooden pews started getting scratched up and so the elders of of chuck's church and it wasn't a very big church uh the uh, calvary chapel costa mesa and uh they said, you, you gotta get, you gotta, they gotta dress different, or they gotta not, you know, they don't all take baths and stuff, and Chuck said, well, we can either throw them out and have them quit coming, or we can let them come just like they are, and we can love them, and they did, and more came, and more came. Now, Tom Stop was played keyboards for Catherine Kuhlman, the famous healing lady, if you've ever seen her pray for people. She's sort of like, I was raised watching Oral Roberts. Now I'm 70, so most of y'all know who that is, but Oral Roberts (laughs) was from Tulsa area, and he would sit with a white shirt on, uh, have his sleeves rolled up, and they would have, make a little platform in front of him, and he would sit in a, in a, in a wooden chair and kind of on two legs and push and lay hands on people as they came so on Sunday mornings when I was going to my home down in Rainbow City to the Baptist church he came on just before it was time for us to go to church so I was raised with watching all these people being prayed for by Earl Roberts and then sometimes I, I occasionally saw Catherine somewhere well the person playing for her was tom stop and tom stop by this time had him an afro way out here if you see a picture of him in the old time magazine his hair was like this far out and uh so tom became a vineyard pastor he knew wimber 
and he was in Denver. And so John calls him up. Tom can't sleep that night. He doesn't know what's happened back at the Yorba Linda, the vineyard, with Lonnie coming. The Lord wakes him up, though, and just going, you need to call Wimber. Well, Lord, it's like 2 a.m. Yeah, but you need to call Wimber. Well, it's 3 a.m. Lord, you need to call Wimber. But can we just wait until it's like sunrise, you know, on the West Coast? We're an hour ahead of them. And like, so John has been up all night. Tom has woken up early, early. And as soon as it's sunrise, he calls John. He goes, John, God told me to call you. Tom, Tom, Lonnie came last night. Do you, have you ever seen this Holy Spirit come and then people, bam, fall out and all this stuff? He, Tom started crying. He says, John, it's God. When I used to play for Catherine, we saw stuff like that happen. So the leadership at, at the vineyard accepted. It takes just being a disciple, which means you're on call all the time, that at any moment the Lord may say to you in a vision or in your ear or during a dream or through a friend's voice, or directly from Scripture, all the different ways that he can speak to you. And you just know this is stronger than typical. And you say in whatever way you need to say it to him, yes, sir, what do you want, Lord? What would you like me to do? And it may turn your world upside down. It may turn you and your friend's world, you and your family. It may change things completely. Yeah. Because I don't know where I would be if I didn't follow some of those promptings. I could be, and not to put down Sunday school, and it's not to put down Sunday school quarterlies that are put out and rotates through the Bible stories and Sunday school classes. But, but if I was still doing that, there would be a lot of good times, but there wouldn't be any of the, like, the times of being in this movement. In 1994, I went to Toronto, and the Toronto airport vineyard was still at the end of the airport at the little strip mall, and it was an all-different level that I had run into. I'd, I had gone to MC 510 Signs and Wonders in 1984, 10 years before in California. I met Wimber in April of 83, at Nashville um, at the Belmont Church. And we started doing stuff, and 
uh, started a living room vineyard in 85, like Jan officially January of 85, got us a checkbook and stuff and at my house. And then I went to California. Um, I'd gone to California the year before in 84. And, and while every time they start worshiping, I just get woozy. It was just so, so God's presence. Well, then in 94, in Toronto, it was like double of what had happened there. And then coming home, driving back, we decided some of us rode together. Um, we started talking. I was talking to Brooke and different ones, and they were going to have a conference, a Catch the Fire conference at Anaheim, at the vineyard at Anaheim then. They had a bigger built their building that was out there. And I said, hey, we should all talk about maybe going to California later this summer. And we did. And we had, I think, 21 people counting kids on the plane. And we went to Anaheim to catch the fire. Now, this is a person who had never gone down when people prayed for me. I'd never ended up where I couldn't stand. And I didn't know how that would be. I had gone to Pentecostal churches and asked them to pray for me, and they they prayed for me. It wasn't time. And even some of them, they they would put so much pressure on me, I would give them a courtesy drop. I would just let them push me down, but knowing that I don't think this is that. You know, I don't know what that is, but I, I would go to a local bookstore, and I would buy books that was for being baptized in the Spirit and books that were against it. I had, I had all of the stuff. So in, so in knife, and even as strong as Toronto was, that two or three days I was up there, I still, I got prayed for. So when, when we went later that summer in, in Anaheim, and, and the team of people that were using, Randy Clark and John and Carol Arnott and, um, I can't remember. There were like five or six people that were regularly being used in Toronto, and they had gone to this this first on the out in the field catch the fire meeting that they'd done in Anaheim, and one of the staff was um, there that is part of a church here, and he was out there for a few years working at the Anaheim Vineyard, and they had a call for. Um, people to come down if they wanted to be anointed in the spirit and it was like all of a sudden my heart started racing and I was sitting with friends and I said I'm gonna go down there for that I have no reason except that I just felt my heart racing I, I'm being raised Baptist I remember it racing at different times in life and that's usually God talking in his way we he has different ways with all of us I went down there there was a bunch from Korea visiting and just as when I got down to the stage the Koreans showed up and all the team that were there went over to the other side of the stage and there wasn't anybody there but my friend Richard from here who, who was working out in California I said Richard pray for me you know it doesn't matter who prays for me it's just that I think I'm supposed to be prayed for so Richard starts praying for me and I thought I was having low blood sugar because I started saying, hey, you know, Richard, I think I'm going to have to sit down on the top step here. I think I got low blood sugar. Never occurred to me that something was happening. And he and a friend, an, another lady, was there, and they both continued to pray for me. 
And after a few more minutes, I was the shape of the steps. There were like four steps up, and I was, I was just like the Beetle Bailey uh, cartoon drawings in the Sunday newspaper. I was the shape of the steps. I couldn't lift anything. I couldn't get up in the crowd and then come back around, and I couldn't even see people that we were all sitting together up there. And I said, can you send a message up to my wife, Jan? She's up there somewhere and tell her where I am. And so two or three of them kind of helped me to standing. And they, I kind of draped me over, over them. And I could kind of help a little bit. And we got out into the lobby. And in the lobby of the Anaheim Vineyard, there's a bronze statue of... Of Je- is it Jesus washing Peter's feet? I think is what it is. It's a statue. And it's, it's right in the opening of the lobby. And then you can look through the glass doors and you can see the cars going by. And then you see the parking lot. And we had some uh, young people from around here. They're older now and families and children. And Danny and Scott were out in the parking lot standing near our cars and when they saw me, I didn't know what had happened. I just saw they were there, and then they weren't there. But what had happened is when they saw me being taken out, they fell out in the spirit in the parking lot, in the gravel parking lot, and people were driving around them. And so when I got out there with them, then I could see them, and they were, they were trying to hold on to the uh, hood of the car, getting their fingers under where the windshield wipers were, but they weren't successful. They kept sliding off the car because people who had been in the conference saw them and did what normal people do. Ah, look at these young guys. Well, bless you in Jesus' name. That's, you know, that was a sweet thing, but it doesn't help you get in the car. Uh, So then they were yelling at me, don't bring him over here, don't bring him over here. We're trying to get in the car. But each one had a driver in their car that was not inebriated in the spirit. So they did get them in the car, and, and they helped me get in another car. And then it, I don't know if it dawned on me that night going, you know, I think this is that. I mean, I think this is, uh, I think this is the anointing of the Spirit. For me, that was, that was my introduction to a greater sensitivity to the Spirit. So I don't know if that's helpful, but... Huh? You're welcome. Yeah, so with me, it's like whatever God wants to do. So if somebody, now I don't know what to tell you if you're watching this on, on, ta- uh, on Facebook. Uh, if that speaks to you, then just go somewhere and you can lay hands on yourself in that sense. I mean, you, can, you really can wait on God. Or, but, but if God said, well, put your own hand on your own forehead. Do whatever he tells you to do. Uh, he, scripture's full of a lot of different patterns, so there's not a set way of, of the Spirit. We, we all need the Holy Spirit to come um, to fill us, to permeate us like pickling us. We all need the Holy Spirit's presence so that we can do whatever he wants to do even better. We can, you know, we can do evangelism without the Holy Spirit anointing us, filling us. 
but it seems to be a lot more effective when we are. And I, for me, sensitivity of, of sensing the spirit more so just helps you, helps me to, um, down to the years, do it better. So, or get contact with me or something other. Or we'll make this appointment down here on the street. Something. So. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for John saying 42 years ago to Lonnie to come. And that Lonnie wanted to know you so much that he went out in the canyon earlier and ran into you. And Ananias was obedient to you to go and lay hands on Saul in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, you are our Lord, our older brother, the Messiah. You, um, we love you, Lord. Father, thank you for sending Jesus, and Lord Jesus, thank you for saying Yes to the Father's will. And Holy Spirit, we're so glad you're with us all the time. Go with each person that's here and those that are listening and those that will listen to this later. All those involved in this invasion the people in Russia the parents in Russia the children that are in in their military service the, all the families in Ukraine all the families members that are displaced all those that are in the countries nearby that have taken them in Lord comfort those that don't know you and Encourage your children in all those places to take care of those who are in great pain, emotionally, mentally, physically. Your will be done in that part of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.